Apparently, Kyle Bradish just loves pitching against the Houston Astros. He goes eight and two-thirds scoreless on Thursday night, flirted with a shutout, and quite frankly, flirted with a perfect game in this one, leading the Orioles to a win in game one over the Astros. We'll recap that and talk about Trey Mancini making his return to Baltimore coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. You are Locked On Orioles, your daily Baltimore Orioles podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, Orioles fans. Today is Friday, September 23rd, 2022, and welcome back in to the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, Connor Newcomb. And coming up on today's episode, we will recap a big-time Orioles win on Thursday night as they took down the Houston Astros 2-0 and Kyle Bradish dominated with eight and two-thirds scoreless innings on the bump for the O's. I'll get you the five things you need to know from that one as the Orioles won Trey Mancini's return to Camden Yards. And we'll talk a little bit about Mancini on this episode as well, how he has done since the trade to Houston, how the O's return did in the minors as well. And we'll do the same thing also for the Jorge Lopez trade. And then at the end of the pod, we'll get you a preview for the rest of this four-game series this weekend between the Astros and the Orioles. But that's all coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast, which is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online has you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts. And before we get started, just did want to thank you for making Locked On Orioles your first podcast listen of the day. Locked On Orioles is free and available on all podcast listening platforms. Remember, new episodes Monday through Friday here on the pod, wherever you listen, if it's Apple Podcasts or Spotify, or of course, if you like to watch the podcast, we thank you for that as well. Make sure to like, comment, and subscribe right here on the Locked On Orioles YouTube channel. And again, we thank you, the listener. Couldn't do it without you. Locked On Orioles here. We thank you for making it your first listen of the day. For your first listen today, let's start with an Orioles victory. Make it two in a row for the Birds. Orioles two, Astros nothing is the final score from Thursday night at Oriole Park at Camden Yards in the first of a huge four-game set between the Astros and the O's in Baltimore. And I'll get you the five things you need to know from this Orioles victory in just a second. With the win, the Orioles go to 78 and 71 on the season. And that sets a new all-time high in the last two centuries for a team with wins in one season after losing 100-plus games the year before. The Orioles are the first team since the 1800s to win at least 78 games the year after they lost more than 100. Of course, the O's were 52 and 110 last year. Now 78 and 71 this year. Just four wins away from securing a winning season. And hey, they're still somewhat in this playoff chase around the other wild card teams on Thursday. In a day game, the Mariners came back and beat the Oakland Athletics 9 to 5. So the Orioles remain five games back. Uh, or should say four games back of the Seattle Mariners. Big series in Tampa, four-game set between the Rays and the Blue Jays, started with a Rays 10-5 win over Toronto. That means the Orioles remain four and a half back of Tampa, but they are now only five and a half back of the Blue Jays, who still hold that top wild card spot. 
And as I'm recording, the Cleveland Guardians are two outs away from beating the Chicago White Sox, which means Chicago would then be two and a half behind the Orioles as the next wildcard team in the American League. But back to the O's game, they win it 2-0, and I'll get you the five things you need to know from the Orioles' 2-0 win over the Astros. And the first thing you need to know, I think you all know what's coming. Kyle Bradish, absolutely just dominant in this game. Just dominant in this game. It cannot be stressed enough how good Kyle Bradish was against the Astros. And quite simply put, he did it again against the Astros. Now, this, of course, was the best start of Kyle Bradish's career. He goes eight and two-thirds innings in this ball game for the Orioles. Just, just dominance all the way up and down. And listen, he was flirting with some serious history at one point in this game. He was perfect through five and two-thirds of this one. It took a Mauricio Dubon two-out single in the top of the sixth inning to break up the perfect game. And then he just kept going. And at one point, Bradish had retired 26 of the 27 batters he had faced. He retired the first two batters in the top of the ninth inning when he went out there. And then he gave up a two-out single to Jeremy Pena, and that was the end of his night. But just what an incredible Incredible night. Again, eight and two-thirds innings scoreless for Kyle Bradish. Just two hits allowed, 10 strikeouts, no walks in this one. Threw exactly 100 pitches on the dot. Lowered his ERA to 4.65 on the year and allowed just four hard-hit balls on the night, did Bradish. It was just ridiculous what he did to this Astros lineup. I mean, 10 Ks just rolled through him, and he outpitched Justin Verlander. The American League Cy Young favorite, maybe at this point, was on the other side. Verlander was solid, two runs over six innings, but he certainly wasn't Kyle Bradish tonight. And what Bradish did is pretty much what Kyle Bradish did the last time that he faced the Astros. Remember when he faced the Astros back on August 26th in Houston, Bradish went eight scoreless in that one in a 2-0 Orioles win. And he only struck out six in that game. He did also walk two, but again, it was only two hits. And if you remember back then, he threw a whole lot of breaking balls. Bradish threw 96 pitches that last time against the Astros. It was 49 sliders and 33 fastballs. That's what he mainly went with. Well, he went breaking ball heavy, and I mean even heavier in this one. Again, he threw 100 pitches, 38 sliders. That was his number one used pitch. And 24 curveballs was his number two used pitch on Thursday night against the Astros. It was the same recipe for Bradish. More breaking balls than fastballs. If I can land my breaking balls in the zone, which he did with both of them on Thursday night, I can play off the fastball. Again, he threw 19 four-seamers, 16 sinkers, and then three change-ups to get himself to 100 pitches. And he got 11 whiffs. You know, wasn't crazy dominant on 53 swings. Five on the slider, five on the curve, and one on the change. So he didn't get any on either of his fastballs. But the velo was up on all of his breaking stuff. The spin rate was up on all of his breaking stuff as well. He was in the strike zone with those pitches too. It was so fun to watch. And I was in the ballpark watching this thing live. Think, thought I was watching history. I got my, my Gunnar Henderson shirt right here. But, I mean, he was just incredible. In this game. And if you add on Jordan Lyles' complete game on Wednesday night, they are the first two Orioles pitchers to pitch more than eight innings in back to back games 
since Chris Tillman and Scott Feldman did it for the Orioles back on July 21st and 22nd of 2013. That was right after the Orioles had acquired Feldman that season. Just incredible starting pitching from Kyle Bradish. If he drops in that breaking ball for a strike, and then he can get you to chase it, and he can lean on the fastball to get some early count called strikes, he's almost unhittable. We saw it last time against Houston. We saw it this time. We saw it, you know, when he pitched in St. Louis back in May when he struck out the 12 batters. You know, he had his command issues early in the season. I get it. But when he hones his stuff in, he's got ace-type material out there on the mound, and that is certainly what we saw on Thursday night. Second thing you need to know from this one is that Kyle Bradish was amazing, incredible, but Brandon Hyde pulling him when he did was 100% the correct move in that situation. So Bradish had thrown 88 pitches through eight scoreless innings in this one. Now, Felix Bautista was warming, just kind of tossing with two outs in the eighth, but Bradish gets the final out of the eighth inning at 88 pitches, and the 8-9-1 part of the Astros order was due up. Now, the nine-batter Dubon was the only guy to reach against Bradish when he had that single in the sixth inning, but Hyde sends Bradish back out there with a 2-0 lead and 88 pitches. And, well, Bradish does just go to work, as he should. You know, the pitch count is low, perfectly the right move by Hyde to send him back out there. And he starts the ninth, he strikes out Yaner Diaz, then he strikes out Mauricio Dubon, and all of a sudden, You've got two outs. He's at 99 pitches. He got nobody on base and a 2-0 lead. And Jeremy Pena comes up, who had already had an 0-3 for in the game. And on the first pitch, Pena rockets a single. 104 off the bat into left field, a two-out single. And it brings the tying run to the plate. Now, Felix Bautista was warming throughout the ninth inning, was ready to go at any time. And my belief that Brandon Hyde's, what he told Kyle Bradish and what was in his head was, you are pitching until a base runner gets on. And when a base runner comes on, one of the most dominant closers in baseball, Felix Bautista, will come into the game. And I get a lot of people, including myself, wanted to see Bradish potentially finish out a complete game shutout against one of the best offenses in baseball in the Houston Astros. I know they didn't have Jose Altuve, but still, it's a pretty good lineup. But at the end of the day, you got to go to Felix there. Bradish was at 100 pitches. He has been a little homer prone at times this year. And of course, the tying run was coming to the plate. And a guy with some good power in the righty, Aledemus Diaz. And you had Jordan Alvarez, a top five hitter in baseball, maybe at least top 10 hitter in baseball with big power and a lefty waiting on deck. So at 100 pitches, you go, you know what? Felix Bautista rarely gives up a homer. We feel like there's almost no chance he allows Diaz to tie this game. So we go to our best pitcher, who's fresh. And Bautista, remember, hadn't pitched in four days. So he needed some work as well. So it basically worked out perfectly. You go to Bautista, he comes in, he strikes out Diaz to end the game, and it all works out perfectly. The O's needed this win, and they got it to stay in the playoff chase. Yeah, do I wish that Bradish would have gotten the complete game shutout? Of course. But the only way he was going to be allowed to do that is if he went 1-2-3 in the ninth. Because if Yaner Diaz would have led off the inning with a single, Bradish would have been out then. If Dubon would have had a one-out single. You know, he almost walked Dubon. It was a 3-2 count. If he would have walked him, he would have been out then. So at the end of the day, Hyde made the right move, and it worked out for Bradish, Bautista, and for the Orioles. Third thing you need to know from this one, speaking of Felix Bautista having four days off, Rugnet Odor had four days off as well, but he was right back into the Oriole order, hitting eighth and playing second base on Thursday night. And wouldn't you know it, Odor had the only hit that drove in any runs 
in this game. He was, at least on offense, the hero for the Orioles. In the second inning, after Anthony Santander was retired to start the frame, Ryan Mountcastle and Taryn Vavra had back-to-back singles. Kyle Stowers had a little weak grounder. He was thrown out at first. There were runners at second and third with two down in the second inning. And Rugnet Odor stepping to the plate for his first plate appearance against the Cy Young favorite in Justin Verlander. And he gets a high fastball. He puts a good swing on it, and Odor just deposits a single into right center field, a two-RBI hit to give the O's a 2-0 lead early. And that would be the difference in this game. And Brandon Hyde, you know, talked about Rugnet Odor and Taryn Vavra actually before Wednesday's game. And he basically said that, look, you know, we're still going to play Odor from time to time, but he's going to move Odor to more of a bench role. He kind of thanked him for everything he's given the Orioles this year, but said they wanted to get more to look at at other guys, and the other guy really they're getting more of a look at is Taron Vavra, who of course was in the starting lineup Thursday as well. But they're going to pick their spots for Odor. He's still going to play from time to time, and nobody in this Oriole lineup has faced Justin Verlander more than Rugnet Odor. He had had 39 plate appearances against Verlander before this game, just because they've both been around for a while, pretty much always in the American League, and they were in the same division for a couple years. They've seen each other a good amount. So it made sense for Odor to be in this order, and he comes through with the two-run single that ended up being the only runs in this game. But I mentioned Taron Vavra, and the fourth thing you need to know from this one is that, well, the kids got a chance to play again, and the kids produced again for the Orioles. Of course, they had all four rookies in the lineup once again in this one. Adley Rutschman catching, batting second. Gunnar Henderson playing third base, batting third. Taron Vavra was in left field, batting sixth. And Kyle Stowers in right field, batting seventh. Now, Adley had an 0 for 4 with a strikeout. Gunnar Henderson had an 0 for 3 with a strikeout. They each had a hard hit ball. But you had Taron Vavra, a 1 for 3 with a single, two hard hit balls, and a run scored. Kyle Stowers also had a 1 for 3 with a single in this game. He hit that ball hard as well. And they're continuing to produce and listen. They both came out for defensive replacements at the end of this game. McKenna replaced Stowers in right field, and Hayes replaced Vavra in left field defensively for the final two innings, which made sense with the Orioles holding on to a slim lead. They're both better defenders in the outfield than Stowers and Vavra are, but I'm okay with that being the roles kind of for the rest of the year. I mean, if you want to use McKenna and Hayes in those spots, sure, but got to get Vavra and Stowers there at bats. They got them, and it paid off once again for the Orioles. And the fifth and final thing you need to know from this one is that, of course, on the other side of the docket, it was a special day for Orioles fans as Trey Mancini made his return to Baltimore, made his return to Oriole Park at Camden Yards, hitting six, playing first base for the Astros. And he was had already faced the Orioles, of course, in that late August series in Houston, but his first return to Camden Yards since being traded to the Astros back on August 1st. And it was emotional. You know, I was in the ballpark about, you know, 10 or 15 minutes before first pitch. There was a great video tribute to Trey before the game when they were announcing the Astros starting lineups. Played a great video for him. You know, he took his cap off, waved it to the crowd. And then when he came up for the first time in this game in the top of the second inning and he got his name announced, they played, you know, his his normal Orioles walkout music with the video and everything. And the standing ovation that he got with me in it included was just incredible. An awesome, awesome scene at Oriole Park on Thursday night. I mean, Orioles fans, we just love Trey Mancini. Everyone gave him so much love in this game. It was awesome to see. And you know what? Trey Mancini gave the Orioles a little love back. Had an 0 for 3 with two strikeouts in this game. And maybe playing a little double agent trying to help 
now that his new team is already in the playoffs, trying to help his old team maybe squeak into the playoffs if they can. But the Orioles do win it 2-0. Trey Mancini couldn't do anything about it in the other dugout in this game. But speaking of Trey Mancini, you know, it was a little bit of a struggle for him offensively on Thursday night. And generally, it has been a bit of a struggle for him offensively since he got traded to the Astros. So coming up next, we're going to take a look at how Mancini has played in his 42 games with Houston so far. We'll take a look at that. We'll take a look at how the return for Mancini has done in the Orioles system. And we'll do the same thing with the Jorge Lopez trade as well, kind of updating you on the Orioles' deadline moves. But first, you know, I don't think many would have bet on the Orioles beating the Astros on Thursday night. You got Justin Verlander going for the Strohs. They got 99 wins, and they're playing an Orioles team that's kind of been scuffling. But the O's did win it, and I bet you would have made some pretty good money had you bet Orioles money line. Well, next time you can do that at betonline.net because it's your number one source for all your baseball betting down the stretch and into the postseason. But of course, BetOnline is also your number one source for all your football betting info this season. You got college games Thursday, Friday, Saturday. You got NFL games Thursday, Sunday, and Monday. You can find all the odds all the live betting, up-to-the-minute scores. You can listen to podcasts, get your news, in-depth articles, and analysis on every game out there at betonline.net. And you can also check out lines on MMA, boxing, golf, anything going on in the sports world, BetOnline has it. So head to betonline.net or use your mobile device to learn more. That's BetOnline, where the game starts. So the Orioles defeated the Houston Astros 2-0 on Thursday night with Trey Mancini making his emotional return to Oriole Park at Camden Yards. And, I mean, it was all positive. Everyone, including myself, just cheering for Trey. Lots of great signs. He had an incredible moment when he came up to the plate for the first time. You know, Bradish and, and Rutschman gave him some time. He tipped his helmet to the fans. It was awesome to see. And then Trey stepped in there, and he went 0-3 with two strikeouts. And... That's kind of been the story for Trey Mancini since being traded to the Astros back on August 1st. And wanted to update everyone on just how Trey's been doing in another uniform. Because the Orioles are all he's known since they drafted him in 2013. But with the new team, he hasn't been as good with Houston so far. Of course, the Orioles sent him over to the Astros in a three-team trade that involved the Rays as well back on August 1st, a day before the trade deadline, the Astros got Trey Mancini. They got a prospect from the Rays as well. The Rays got Jose Siri, the Astros outfielder. And the Orioles got right-handed pitcher Chase McDermott from the Astros and right-handed pitcher Seth Johnson from the Rays to AA-level prospects. But for Trey, since going over there, you know, it was interesting. He, you know, homered a couple of times early in an Astros uniform. And then, you know, he didn't really play a lot for a bit. It was kind of in there like once every third day. But recently, especially in September, he's basically been playing every day, whether it's DH, first base, or left field for the Astros. But offensively, it probably hasn't gone as Trey Mancini would like. So in his 92 games and 401 plate appearances with the Orioles this year, Mancini hit 268 with a 347 on base and a 404 slugging. He had 10 homers. He had a 116 WRC plus, about a 9% walk rate and 21% strikeout rate for Trey Mancini. Now, obviously, much smaller sample size with Houston. This was going into play Thursday, these stats. So this doesn't even include the 0 for 3 with 2Ks on Thursday night. But in his 41 games with Houston, 153 plate appearances, 
hitting just 193, a much lower average, with a much lower 281 on base percentage. The 407 slugging is basically the same. He does have eight homers in much less time. Now, most of that has to do with nobody was robbed by Mount Baltimore out in left field more than Trey Mancini this year. And the Crawford boxes in Houston are about some of the easiest places for a right-hander to hit a homer, so he's definitely feasted there. But in general, 116 WRC plus with the Orioles, just a 96 WRC plus with the Astros, meaning he's been 4% worse than the league average hitter when he's been in a Houston uniform. His walk rate has been up a little bit, but it's only been up by about 1%, while his strikeout rate has gone up more than 5% in a Houston uniform. And you kind of look like, well, what changed? And obviously the big thing that changed is he moved to Texas. He's playing for a completely different team. He's in a completely different spot in the lineup. You know, he's hitting sixth or seventh instead of third or fourth every day. He's on a better team as well, as we know, the Astros right now uh, are about to hit 100 wins and have, you know, locking up their division. But at the end of the day, he did mash fastballs in an Oriole uniform. And Trey seeing much less fastballs with the Astros, seeing 5% less fastballs with Houston. That was the pitch he clobbered with the Orioles. Isn't seeing them as much, seeing more breaking balls. And that's why he's swinging and missing more. And he's also chasing those breaking balls out of the zone. His chase rate is up 5%. It was just shy of 32% with the Orioles. That's the percentage of pitches outside the zone that he swings at. His chase rate is up at 37% with the Astros. So more breaking balls means more breakers out of the zone and more balls that he's chasing as well. And, you know, he wasn't definitely a lefty masher with the Orioles this year like he was at times earlier in his career, but all his stats specifically against lefties have gone way down. I mean, he hit 252 against lefties with the Orioles, hitting just 217 against lefties with the Astros. And here's one thing that maybe some people wouldn't factor in, but I think is definitely a factor. As we know, the Orioles tried to play Trey Mancini, you know, a little bit in left field, mostly in right field this season, just to show that he could still play the outfield. He did it more earlier in his career. But the Astros are playing him in the outfield way, way more. And, and this is a pretty jarring stat. So remember, he had played 92 games with the Orioles. He has now played 42 games with the Astros. So less than half the games with Houston. Yet, with the Orioles this year, he played exactly 100 innings in the outfield. He has already played 105 innings in the outfield with Houston. So he's playing the outfield defensively at a much higher rate. And a lot of that has to do with the fact they already have another first baseman in Yuli Gurriel. And they also kind of have another DH in Jordan Alvarez. Now, Alvarez did play left field defensively on Thursday night. He does do that from time to time. But I would honestly trust Trey Mancini out there more than Alvarez. Mancini moves around a little better, although Alvarez did make a couple of nice plays on Thursday night. But Trey's playing out there a lot. It's shown to be somewhat of a tough position for him, and it might be cutting away at his offensive production. I think if he was just first base DH like he generally was in Baltimore, he'd probably be hitting better for this Houston team. But maybe it's taken a, a little bit of a toll on him. Now, I get that he's been worse in an Astros uniform. Of course, he has offensively. I still think an Orioles offense that has struggled recently could certainly use Trey Mancini. I'm still not a fan of the trade, but you know he has not played as well in an Astros uniform. Now, on the flip side for the Orioles, the two pitchers they got back, of course, the righty Seth Johnson got Tommy John surgery 
basically right after the trade was made. I don't think we see him pitch even until 2024 at this point. And the other pitcher they got was the right-hander, Chase McDermott, who went to Aberdeen immediately after the trade, made two really dominant starts, and the Orioles said, all right, you're ready for double-A. So they sent him up to double-A Bowie, and McDermott did struggle a little bit in Bowie. In six starts with the Bay Sox this year, he had a 6.08 ERA. Now, in 26 and two-thirds innings, he only allowed 17 hits. He struck out 36 batters, which is a really good rate. Here was the issue. He walked 20 batters in 26 and two-thirds and allowed seven home runs in those six starts with Bowie. So he wasn't giving up a lot of hits. He was striking out a lot of guys, but it was walks and homers that got that ERA to 6.08, despite the fact that opponents hit just 179 against McDermott in AA. So you can tell the stuff is there, but he definitely has to hone in the command. So as I was kind of looking through this Mancini trade and, and what they've done recently, I figured, why not give an update on Jorge Lopez as well? Of course, the other player that the Orioles traded at the deadline, they sent Lopez, who was their closer at the time, to the Minnesota Twins for four pitching prospects, Cade Povich, Yenier Cano, Juan Nunez, and Juan Rojas. And Trey Mancini has definitely been worse as an Astro than he's been with an Oriole, but he's still been productive for the Astros. I don't even know if you can say the same thing for Jorge Lopez with the Twins. It has been a nightmare for Lopez in Minnesota. Now with the O's, he was outstanding this year, moving to the bullpen, winning the closer role. In 44 appearances with the Orioles this season, Jorge Lopez had a 1.68 ERA in 48 and a third innings, 10.1 strikeouts per nine, 3.2 walks per nine, a 60% ground ball rate with that nasty sinker for Jorge Lopez. Then he gets traded to Minnesota. They put him in the closer role. He gets a couple of saves, blows one or two. And then the wheels just kind of fall off for Lopez. And his stats now with the Twins coming into play Thursday, in 18 appearances with Minnesota, 17 and two-thirds innings of work, he has a 5.60 ERA. While he had 10 Ks per nine with the Orioles, he has just 7 Ks per nine with the Twins. And while he was walking 3.2 batters per nine with the O's, 6.6 walks per nine in a Twins uniform, and his ground ball rate is down 8% to just 52% for Lopez in Minnesota. It's been a disaster. He's been relegated not only out of the closer role, but he's basically now into a glorified middle relief role where he's not even really pitching at this point when the Twins have the lead. He's kind of right now in the Joey Crable role in the Twins bullpen. That's how far Lopez has fallen since going over to Minnesota. Now, I will say, I would still like to have him in the Oriole bullpen. I think a lot of that issue was how comfortable he felt in Baltimore. I think that trade got to him. And I think, yeah, his stats would probably be going down. I don't think he'd still maybe be the Oriole closer if he was still in Baltimore. But I think he'd still be much better than he is in Minnesota. And I think he'd still be a productive member of the Orioles bullpen at this point had he stayed in Baltimore. Now, he's getting hit hard way more. Hard hit rate was under 30% with the O's. It's at 43% with Minnesota. His whiff rate is down. The contact rate is up. Everything just going wrong for him. On the flip side for the Orioles and what they got back, they got four pitchers back. Now, Cade Povich was the top arm they got back, the lefty who we had on this podcast a few weeks ago. Make sure and go back and listen to that episode. In 23 and a third innings with the Bowie Bay Sox this year for Povich, not amazing. 
6.94 ERA. Now, 26 Ks to 11 walks is better, but he certainly did have his struggles. Yenier Cano, the right-hander who went to AAA, did have one terrible appearance in the big leagues with the Orioles, with Norfolk 12 and two-thirds innings, 5.68 ERA, 10 Ks, and six walks. So not amazing from what we've seen from him, although he does have a good changeup. The success really has come from the two lower-level guys, the two pitchers they got out of the FCL. Juan Nunez was immediately called up to Del Marva. He's a 21-year-old right-hander, 14 and two-thirds innings, a 1.23 ERA with Del Marva. Here's the weirdest stat I've ever seen. In 14 and two-thirds innings, Juan Nunez struck out seven batters and walked 13 batters, 13 walks to seven strikeouts, and still had a 1.23 ERA. Just avoiding hits. Kind of impressive, really, if he gets that command together. And then you have Juan Rojas. He's an 18-year-old left-hander. Eight and two-thirds innings in the FCL with the Orioles. No runs allowed. 12 Ks to just five walks. So some of those guys worked out, but I think the O's bullpen could have used Jorge Lopez. But it definitely just it stinks to see him struggle this much in a Minnesota uniform. I wish him all the best. I hope he figures it out again with the Twins because it's been rough to watch after such a great start to his year in Baltimore. But that's kind of your Mancini and Lopez update. Mancini and the Astros, they'll be right back at it here on Friday night trying to beat the Orioles and even up this series. And coming up next, I'll get you a preview of the final three games of this series between the Orioles and the Astros. So the O's took game one from Houston, two to nothing in this series. Kyle Bradish dominant eight and two-thirds scoreless in this one. Now the O's try and at least get a confirmed split in this series if they can get game two here on Friday. Now as we'll preview quickly the final three games of this series before I get you out of here here today. And it starts with a Friday night game here tonight. 7.05 p.m. Eastern time is the start for this one. Jose Urquidy will be the starter for Houston. The 27-year-old righty has a 3.96 ERA in 157 innings for the Astros this season, although he has been getting hit hard in his last couple of starts. Last time out against Oakland, six innings, six runs on seven hits, and the start before that against the Angels, five innings, six runs on 10 hits. Let me tell you, those are two not very good offenses. He got dominated by those offenses. When he faced the Orioles back on August 27th, Five innings, three runs on four hits, five Ks, three walks, and the O's hit two home runs against him. Santander and Hayes got him in that one. On the flip side, it'll be Dean Kramer going for the Orioles in this one. The right-hander has a 3.33 ERA in 105 and a third innings of work this year. His last start out there was not his best. He was able to kind of scratch through one in Toronto over the weekend, five and two-thirds innings, two runs on four hits, three strikeouts, five walks, a home run allowed, and a hit batter in that Sunday game that the Orioles did win. He did pitch in Houston also on August 27th, and he dominated. Seven and two-thirds, one run on four hits, three Ks and no walks. Orioles hoping that Kramer can repeat that here on a Friday night. Then we move to the Saturday game, also a 7.05 p.m. Eastern time start. And Framber Valdez will get the ball for the Houston Astros. Valdez having an unbelievable season. The 28-year-old lefty, a 2.57 ERA now 
in 185 and two-thirds innings. It's it's honestly ridiculous what Framber Valdez is doing right now. 25 consecutive quality starts for Valdez. That's a start at least six innings with three or less earned runs. He has been just unbelievable. His last start was against Oakland. Six runs, or six innings, I should say. Two runs on four hits. And the start before that against Detroit, through a complete game shutout with eight Ks, six hits, and one walk. He did not face the Orioles. They were lucky to miss him that last time around. He is a fantastic lefty. Going to be tough for the O's to figure him out. And on the flip side, the Orioles will go with Tyler Wells, the righty with a 4-2-5 ERA at 103 and two-thirds innings this year. Wells really did not look himself in that last start out there earlier in the week against Detroit on Monday. Three-plus innings, five runs on four hits, a season-high three walks with just three strikeouts. We'll see if he can figure it out against Houston, a team he did not face. He was on the injured list when these two teams met down in Texas back in August. And then in the Sunday game, the Astros have not named a starter for that game. It could be a guy maybe like Christian Javier who could pitch in this one. We will see who the Astros eventually send out there. It could be Luis Garcia as well, the right-hander. But we know who the Orioles will throw in that 105 game on Sunday. It will be Austin Voth as the right-hander, who has a 4-3-2 ERA, but a 2-8 ERA since coming over to the Orioles from the Nationals. His last start was against the Tigers on Tuesday. Five innings, two runs on six hits, three strikeouts, and no walks in that one for Austin Voth, who, again, has just been so much better in an Oriole uniform. And he did make a start in Houston in that series in August on the 28th. Six innings, one run, one hit, Four Ks and three walks for both in that one. So the Orioles looking to keep up this trend. Look, they're now 3-1 and one against the Astros this year. Their starting pitchers have dominated a great Houston lineup. We'll see if they can keep it up this weekend. And then I'll be back with you on Monday recapping the rest of this four-game series between the Orioles and the Astros, getting you my three big takeaways from the Orioles weekend. Hopefully, the O's have a series win, and maybe they've gained a little ground this weekend as you've got the Rays playing the Blue Jays and the Mariners taking on the Royals the rest of this weekend in the AL wildcard chase. But I'll be back with you to recap it all on Monday. Until then, I'm Connor Newcomb, and this has been the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day.